that we don't usually talk about in church, right? We've talked about homosexuality. We've talked about addiction. We've talked about, last week we talked about mental health. And now this morning, we're going to talk about something that's also probably pretty close and dear to a lot of us. We're talking about marriage. And more specifically, healthy, keeping a healthy marriage. And Ed was in, in big trouble because uh, for the final time, Ed has, had forgotten his, uh, his wife and forgotten their anniversary. He'd done it so many times that she just got so tired of him doing this and she said, tomorrow morning, Ed, there better be a present for me in the, in the, in the driveway and it better go zero to 200 really fast. And it better have a nice big red bow on it and if it's not there, you are in big trouble. So Ed, being a smart man, understood his place and understood what was going on. And so the next morning, Ed got up early and uh, went to work. And then a few hours later, his wife got up and uh, walked outside in her bathrobe and saw, sure enough, there's a gift there in the front uh, of their house on the driveway. It's a nice, neat box with a nice, neat bow on it. But the problem was, she said, I want a present that goes zero to 200 really fast. It was a small box. So she said, this is not what I was looking for. But she said, who knows what it is. So she goes down, picks up the box, brings it inside, opens it up, and inside is a brand new shiny bathroom scale. And uh, when some of you guys get that in a few moments, you'll laugh. But, but uh, uh, Ed's, Ed's funeral services are scheduled for Friday. And so he'll be in, he'll be in trouble. Uh, uh, he's in trouble. But anyway, um, Nothing like your spouse to like get you all excited about life, right? Sometimes, amen. You know, you know, you know how it is. And this morning we're talking about marriage. Now I gotta pause for a moment today because you might be here today and you are not married. And you're thinking, okay, fine, I'm gonna pull my phone out, I'm gonna hit the scores, and I'm gonna kind of check back and check out. It's my time to, to, to not get this. And I get that because I have thought that in my life when I've heard messages similar to this as well. But I want to ask you today to rethink that decision. Because no matter where you are in life, first of all, you're not dead yet, and so you have life in front of you, and you might be in a situation or a place where your marriage is not healthy or was not healthy or you've never seen what a healthy marriage can be like, and it feels in some ways like this just doesn't apply to you. And I would say that's not true. I want to encourage you to listen up and think because you are either going to get married someday or you are a human being who has a part of this because the truth is, is that the family is the basic building block of culture, isn't it? And if the family is unhealthy, if the spouse and the husband, if the marriage is unhealthy, so is the family and so is our culture. All of us play a part in this, amen? All of us play a part in walking through this this morning, and so we can all build families in some way, and so I want to encourage you to listen up, because there might be someone in your life you can help, you can walk through this with, you can bring some help in this, or you might meet someone someday and say, okay, well, maybe now is a time for me to change my, my thoughts on marriage, and when that happens, the best time to prepare for that moment is right now. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning because I believe that marriage, when it comes by God's design, is the greatest, the greatest experience you could ever experience. 
I, I, I believe that. That marriage can be amazing. Marriage can be incredible. Marriage can be the greatest experience of your life. Now, I did not say the easiest, right? If you're married today, even if you are in a healthy marriage, you know I'm talking about, right? It's not the easiest. And in fact, I think that God uses marriage to disciple us and to challenge us. My wife, so often, is the one who tells me the truth on some things. And I don't always like that. And it goes, back, it goes the other way as well. That's, that's what's great about marriage. When you get two people in the same room, and two people in the same bedroom, and two people with the same checkbook, and the same everything, and they're trying to live life together, and they're very different, and they have differing opinions and thoughts on things, well, that's just a recipe for some fun, isn't it? And that's the problem sometimes, is that marriage can be a hard thing. And our, our culture is normalizing brokenness. As this has kind of been a theme throughout our series, culture is normalizing brokenness, including marriage and including infidelity. It's part of our culture. It's a joke sometimes on TV. It's, a, it's an afterthought sometimes on things that we see and, and read about. I have read articles, even this last few weeks, I've read articles about families and about breaking up. And I've seen a, an article written not long ago about a young man who says, marriage is over for my, for my generation. We've seen the heartache. We've seen the affairs. We've seen the difficulty that marriage brings. And frankly, we don't want any part of it. And that's the, way, that's the world we live in. And that's the place we live in. This morning, we're going to deal with this in a very strong way. Because even this morning, your marriage may or may not be in a great place. Where they, it's possible that there might be a, an affair of, of action or an affair of the mind that is on the, the precipice or on the edge for your own life. Now, I said affair of action. That doesn't need much more explanation. We know what that means. Uh, there are affairs. People have them. It happens in our, our society. It's being normalized. And man, we don't want to see that happen. But for a lot of us, we would never think about having an affair. Yet for a lot of us, there is what's called an affair of the minds, where we are giving and associating and, 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 and giving someone or something a place in our life that is reserved for our spouse. A lot of marriages today where the couples, where the, where the couple, the husband and wife, are on two separate wavelengths. They're not on the same team. They're not even on the same league. They're not even playing the same sport. And that's the, the case in, in some days. And it could not be more destructive. This morning, we're going to learn from a marriage in the Bible who is much like this. This marriage, of course, is a marriage where a literal affair happens. It's the story of David, David and Bathsheba. And if our text happened today... In our time, we would probably see a CNN headline or a Fox News headline that would say, Israeli king uh, has a fair and has an illicit child and murder happens or murder follows. It could be the case. You'd probably see reporters there. You'd probably see some people. You might see one of those, like, you know, rooms on 60 Minutes where uh, one of the, the, the servants in the, in the house is, like, in that room and the, the, the dark lights are on. They can't see their face and their, their voice is muffled, but they're telling the story of what happens. And the reporter says, how did it happen? They give details, possibly salacious details of what happened in this moment. 
that frankly changed the course of history for Israel, for David, for Bathsheba, for the entire church, for the entire generation. It changed the course of history forever. There are things that happen years afterwards you read about that happen as a result of this one quote-unquote moment. And I use the word moment in quotes because there was not just a moment. And we're going to get CSI this morning on this whole situation. We're going to dissect one of the most famous moments of, idol, of, of adultery in the scriptures. And again, it's not a moment because this is what was said by a man named Walter Wangerin, who was a, a, a well-known uh, authority on marriage and such. And he says this. He says, adultery is never a sudden, spontaneous, totally unexpected act. It's always preceded by a longer drama at the beginning of which you are not helpless. Affairs happen because it culminates after a long time, long-term decisions. There are moments and times, there are small concessions. Many of them are mental that lead to this moment. So today we're going to read this passage of Scripture, and we're going to find five steps, five clues that led to this moment. This morning we're going to read in 2 Samuel chapters uh, 6 through 11. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the, in the story today because there are clues that you have to see. It can be very, very helpful to us this morning. Let's read it today. This is the moment. This is the thing. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. That's an important detail there. We'll get to that in a moment. But it happens late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the, from, from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now it should have stopped there, right? Should have paused. It should have stopped. It should have been, should have been it. David should have thought and said in my heart, I'm married. This is ridiculous. No way. This is wrong. But so often it comes to sin, it doesn't stop where it should have. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So again, there, it should, if it didn't stop before, now it really should stop. When he hears this story, but yet, of course, we know that it doesn't. Verse 4, so David sent his messengers to took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And they returned, and then she returned to her house. And the problem was, was David was already married. So was she. See here, it all, but it doesn't begin in this moment. It begins way back in chapter 6, when it begins with a seemingly minor rift. David and Michael, that was his wife's name, had a moment of a rift before this moment with Bathsheba. Let's look back on this in chapter 6. And David was on cloud 9. He triumphantly returned the Ark of the Covenant back to its rightful place, and he had a massive party. It was, it was huge. It'd be like the Vikings winning the Super Bowl. If it ever happens, we are going to celebrate like no other. That's what was happening. They were partying. They had ticker tape parades. They were riding on the back of convertibles. I mean, it was huge. The whole nation is celebrating because this is a massive moment. At the center of this moment is, da is King David. 
King David understood something here. In verse 12, he said, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom had the Ark of the Covenant there. It was the symbol of God's presence. And God was blessing Obed-Edom. And so David said that should be its rightful spot in Jerusalem. So David goes to get it, and he goes down, and he is so excited that the Bible says here in verse 14 that he is wearing a linen ephod. Now, we know the story. If you've been around church long, you know ephod is like undies, basically. So he's wearing his undies, and he's pretty well known. He is dancing before the Lord and with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with the shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Now, i got to pause there because... This passage here says something. It says all of Israel, but it's, it's, it's missing someone. It does that on purpose because the very next passage here explains the irony of that scripture. He says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That word despise is an important is an important point. The word is baza, it's Hebrew for dis, disdain and disdain. It is, she despised him. She sees what he has. She sees this moment of, of excitement and celebration rather than saying, oh, this is cool for my husband. She despises him in her heart. And in the moment, a rift is born. A rift is born right here, and they continued in verses 17 through 19. David just continues on. David continues on with a celebration. At home, there's struggle, but David keeps going. And the Bible says here that he brought it to where it was supposed to go, and he sent a cake of dates, and he sent food home with the people. And the Bible says in verse 19, they went to their homes and celebrated. Every home was celebrating except one family. Because when David returned to his home to bless his household, in verse 20, Michael, daughter of Saul, who was his wife, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. It's funny here because she kind of Let's be honest, she's kind of exaggerating here, right? I mean, it's not fully naked, and so uh, he had it in ephod on, and so, uh, and so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who, could sh- who chose me rather than your father or anyone in his house when he appointed me ruler over God's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more dignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes, but these slave girls you spoke of, I will be in and held in high honor. We've probably heard this passage before, and many times we celebrate what David said here, don't we? There is a, a worship song written about this where he says, I'll become even more indignified than this. And I love David's heart here for the Lord. I love what he says and what he does. I love his desire to serve God and love God no matter what. But here's the problem. Is that David was met at home with a chilling response. And rather than stop and deal with the problem, David responded even more harshly to his wife when she started a a, a harsh response to him. And bitterness is brought into the relationship. And again, a rift is born. Church, in your marriage this morning, in in your marriage, you have to walk out, watch out, minor rifts. And you know where they are. 
Maybe you've seen some in your own life recently. You know what happens. You know how it goes. And so often it happens, and I've had the privilege of counseling with people where they get into my office and we talk about this, and someone remembers 20 years ago when you said this, and then I said this, and a rift was born. We have to be careful about those rifts. Church, carefully guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. Work together as a team. Give soft responses to one another. Frankly, there's times when you are right and that person, your other person is wrong. It happens, believe it or not. Sometimes, wives, sometimes we're right. Just, we just are sometimes, right? I mean, let's be honest. And guys, look, that's right. But guys, also, sometimes we're wrong and they're right, right? That's the beauty of the gift of marriage, He said, God has put someone next to you that has eyes, that cares about you, that will tell you the truth, that will give you how it is, and that's not a bad thing. But when we get so stuck on our own selves and our own selfishness and our own hearts and our own minds and our eyes that go towards us and not towards really helping and being a blessing, a rift can be born. You've got to be careful about these things. Give soft responses to one another. There are times in my marriage where my wife is wrong. Not many. There's, there really isn't. There, there are those times. But here's the deal. is If I respond to her with a bitter tongue, a, a bitter response, I have closed off all communication. And so now a rift is born. Be careful with that. Give soft responses to one another. Bridge the rifts. Be careful. Take care of the little things before they become big things. Before the sun goes down in your anger. The word speaks that and says, be careful of, of those things. Bridge those, those rifts. The next step this morning is, number two, an unrealized dream. There are marriages that are struggling because someone in the marriage is walking through different points or parts of losing a dream. Here's the deal this morning. I'll just be honest. A lot of us probably at some point had dreams. And those dreams probably had nothing to do with our spouse because we didn't even know that spouse yet, right? We had desires and thoughts and hearts and things that said, I want to do this someday. And many marriages are struggling because the people and the marriage are not fighting on the same team. Let me illustrate. In your 20s and your teens, you have dreams, right? Man, the world is your oyster, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do this better than your parents, and you're going to do this better than your friends. And, and you have dreams and aspirations, and those are good things. But then in your 30s, a little thing called life happens, right? And kids come along, and a, a mortgage comes along, and a car note comes along, and two car notes come along. And, and, and you have this and that, and people get sick, and there's difficulties, and there's things. And all of a sudden, dreams that you so heart, have a heart for start to change. Your relationship with them starts to change. And you reach your 40s, which is where I'm at right now, and you start to think, hmm. You begin to wonder, <laughs> what happened to those dreams? In your 50s, you start to accept the fact that they don't always work. In your 60s, you say, dreams? What? I had some dreams here someplace. I don't know where to put them. They're gone. I don't, you, know. you know, there's different stages of life, aren't there? 
And again, so often we fight with our spouse and the person that is most given to us is a blessing to help us because we are fighting through a dream and we're not on the same page. David found himself in that position the very next chapter. Soon after the rift, David learns that one of his lifelong dreams would be denied. He had set a goal from his early age to build a house for God, which is a worthy goal, right? Starts in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, God came to Nathan and told him to tell David. He said, after the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given David rest from all his enemies around him. And he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar. Well, the ark of God remains, remain, remains in a tent. That's a good dream. David said, man, I'm living in this palace in the, God's presence. The ark is sitting in this tent. He says, that should not be. I'm going to build God's God a house. And so Nathan, verse 3, said, Whoever, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go tell my servant David, the Lord says, and I will summarize here, he says, you are not the one to build the ark. What you want to do is a very noble, very wonderful, very noble thing, but I'm going to teach you a bigger lesson. What you are going to do is not build the ark. It will come someday through one of your offspring. You just need to stop and hold on and let it happen. David hears this. Of course, David is heartbroken because his dream was denied. Now, now please note today, David's dream was was not selfish or self-seeking or egotistical. He had, a, he had a heart for God. He wanted this to happen. But man, there's so many times in our lives where we have a dream as, as, a, as a spouse we want to see happen, but for whatever reason, it doesn't happen, and that can bring stress to our marriages. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. I, I did. I wanted to be, play professional ball. And I'm not that today, as you can see. And I'm not that for lack of trying. I, I tried. I worked. I practiced. Hours I spent throwing balls at my mom and dad's garage. It's still, it's got still problems because we did that. My brother and I did that. We spent hours and hours and hours playing and practicing and working and learning and trying. And I just didn't have it. You know why? Look at me. I'm not built like a baseball player. I'm not, I can't do it. Some of us still have dreams like that that we brought into our marriages, and they're struggling because they're not on the same team. Some are good, some are bad, some are okay, some are, are, are not okay. See, God had other plans for David, and that's okay. Church, to guard against unfaithfulness, be careful with your dreams. And carefully walk through life's seasons together. Walk through life's seasons together. On one spot, one aim, one place, one purpose. And my wife's not here today because our daughter, Emmy, is now homesick. And it's like it never stops for sometimes for us. But she's homesick today. And, but one thing I love about my wife and how she deals with me and how she helps me walk through things is I have a lot of dreams, a lot of thoughts, and I have desires. My wife is a careful, quiet voice in my life to help me sort and walk through those things. We are on the same team. 
Church, if you are on the same team with your spouse, there could be no better thing. Walk through life's seasons together. It takes effort to do this. I will be honest. There are times in my life when the failure of my dreams wants to shove me in a corner and shut my wife out. It happens. I have to, as the husband, as the leader, as the man of the household, I have to take care of my dreams and take care of my desires and my goals. And I'm not shutting my wife out, but I'm inviting her to come into those things. How often we struggle in marriage because we fail to do that. Walk through life together. Be willing to be flexible with the changes that life brings. I'll be honest, I did not know I'd be here at age 40, almost 41. At this point in my life, I had no idea where I'd be when I was 20 years old. See, when you learn to walk through life's seasons and changes and flexes together, and you're okay with that, and you allow that to happen in your life, you'll find joy that God can bring and position in your life because you are following what he wants in your life. Listen to your spouse. Listen to your spouse. I remember a time when my wife and I, and this is so fascinating, my wife and I, we had interviewed for a, a position. It was a, it was a position at a very large, prestigious church. I won't say where it was because of what happened. It was a very large, prestigious church. The, the pastor uh, met us at an airport. Why? And he just, he was just, he just made, and he priced this wonderful restaurant, and it was great. He wanted us. There's this big budget. I will be honest with you. I wanted to go there. I wanted to go there so bad. It was such a great situation. We're driving away. My wife said, we are not going to that church. And I said, what? I said, do you know what this could do for our career? She said, listen to yourself, Steve. She said, what are you saying? She said, knock it off. She said, I don't feel good about it. And we struggled through this because we ended up in a place that wasn't quite the same situation. And I will be honest with you, we struggled through this thing and she was adamant, this is not right for us, Steve. There was times in my life in that season where I said, I was, I wanted to say, I don't care what you say, we're going anyway because I'm the man and we're going to do what I tell us we're going to do. I thought that way sometimes. Man, thank God I didn't because what happened was this minister was having an affair and it was this big, huge deal. And this, we didn't know any of this stuff, but six months later, it all came down. The church came crashing down. We would have been fired. We would have had all kinds of problems. We would have been right in the middle of it. God, I thank you for the counsel of my wife. But how many times do we get so prideful and so full of ourselves that we cannot listen to somebody else? Listen to your spouse. Listen to what they say. Listen to their thoughts and allow some dreams to die. Because sometimes some of our dreams are not there because God placed them there. They're there because we placed them there. Your spouse can be a wonderful help in that. The next step is, is success. And quickly here, when David understood that he was not going to build the temple, the next passage, the next chapter shows us that David refocuses his life. David turns from what he was going to do and now becomes a military machine. And David pretty much becomes this guy that cannot lose a battle. And, and human logic would tell us that, man, we struggle the most when times are difficult. And that's true, but that's not the full story, is it? Because sometimes we struggle when times are good. When David becomes this, this machine, David becomes this guy, man, David cannot lose a fight. 
And you think about this for a moment this morning. Many high-profile people, they fall, they miss it, they mess up when they're riding high. There's something about success that can cause us to fail. David was right there. Verse 1 of chapter 8, man, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. Verse 2, David defeated the Moabites. Verse three, verses 3 and 4, David defeated Hazadar, son of Rahab, or Rehob, the king of Zobah. You try saying these, saying these names. When the, 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 Ar, the Armenians of Damascus came to help Hazadar, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. Verse 13, David became famous and struck down 18,000 Edomites. Verse 14, the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. There's no doubt about it. David was a person of success, but he had no one to go home and share it with. Don't forget, don't forget the rift that begins two chapters before. Don't forget what happens there. And David obviously has no one to go home and share this with. Church, guard against unfaithfulness by guarding yourself and your spouse during success. Recognize that we are susceptible in highs and lows. We are susceptible in difficult times. If you are having a hard time right now, don't run from your spouse, cling to your spouse. If you're going through wonderful times, don't run to your spouse and get all the, the, the fame and accolades, as David said here. Run to your spouse, cling to your spouse, let them love you, let them speak into your life. They will be honest with you, which sometimes hurts. Go to your spouse for edification and don't go to other people. I want to speak to spouses for a moment this morning because this is really important. Some of us guys and ladies are wired to need someone to tell us that things are good. We need someone to encourage us and speak into our lives and encourage us with things. If that is not you, your spouse will find it someplace else. I'll just be honest this morning. And again, we so often want to stop and want to get so focused on our lives. That's why marriage is such a wonderful discipleship tool. It gets our focus off of us and onto somebody else. Encourage your spouse. Make sure that you are the one who is the loudest voice, the loudest champion, the loudest encourager, the loudest war in their lives beside anyone else. Because if you are that person, if you are that person who's encouraging them, them like that, they will be much less likely to go to somewhere else. It's the job and the responsibility is lovingly on our shoulders. And if you're not getting it from your spouse, if your spouse is not open or welcome or has that heart or is not here today because frankly they just aren't on the same page as you, then you plant the seeds. You plant the seeds of, of encouragement. You plant the seeds of, of character. You plant the seeds in their lives of these things. Don't re replay evil with evil by taking it away from them because they aren't giving it to you. See, marriage is a two-way street, but marriage is also a commitment made to each other. Spouse, be quick to recognize success and give approval. The next step this morning is a significant loss. There is a bomb of immorality that is starting to appear, and, and soon it's going to explode. David suffered a rift with his wife. He went through the death of a dream. He found and rode the wave of success and had 
no one to share it with. But perhaps nothing is more painful than his loss of his friendship with Jonathan. So much of the, of the, of the psalms and the sorrowful psalms are written because of David's loss of his best friend, Jonathan. He struggles this mightily, of course, you know the story. Jonathan uh, was the son of King Saul, his, his arch rival. King uh, David responded, well, Saul did not. And there was, there was conflict there. There was struggle. There was difficulty. But, but Jonathan was different. They held each other accountable. They were committed to each other. But at points, this relationship had to stop and, and had to, 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 to die. And, and Jonathan was, was gone. And, saw, and, and, and David said in 2 Samuel 9, 1, he says, is, is there anyone left in the house of Saul who I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So Jonathan had been gone. And David, you can hear the, the love and the pains you read through uh, Psalm chapter 9. And, and David found someone in his house because he cared for his brother. When there is loss in your life, when there is struggle in your life, recognize that loss hits us hard and is an opportunity for the enemy. I've seen it so often in marriages where there has been a humongous, strained, difficult loss that is not the fault of any parent, and it rips those two people apart because loss can be a place where the enemy can come in and plant bitterness and resentment and seeds of frustration and pain. Guard against those things in your marriage. Be open about those kind of losses. Be open with your spouse, open with other people. This is a struggle. I'm having a hard time. And don't play the blame game. Man, how awful is it when we walk through a hard time? And there are times when it is just plain someone's fault. And your spouse looks at you and says, that was your fault. You already know it was your fault. A rift is born in that moment. You are not on two teams. Don't give the enemy a place to, to plant seeds of bitterness, to plant seeds of resentment, to plant seeds of, 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 of difficulty in your marriage. Be open about those things. Don't play the blame game. And look to God first and then your spouse to fill your void. If they're not there right now, if they're not in that spot, work on your marriage. No excuses in that, in that, that point Finally this morning, as the band comes forward, it's actually just Pastor Joe comes forward. Step five is, is disengagement. And we see this at the very beginning of this passage we read. We see David disengaging from his life. He disengages from what's real and what's right. And so we find he is gradually disengaging himself from the dilly grind and what he's supposed to do. And when the affair comes full circle, we see this happening in his life. But it didn't start here. They want to highlight this in two verses. In verse, in chapter 10, 7, he says, On hearing this, David sent Joab out to the entire army of fighting men. And in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, the spring, when at the time of kings go to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men, repeats it again, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Back then, kings never asked others to go where they themselves were not willing to go. Back then, kings led the armies out. They led these things out. They, they walked through these things. And so instead of doing what he was supposed to do, though, David sat lounging at home. He stopped, and he allowed his armies to go out, and he was in a place that he never should have 
been. And I will argue that he never should have been there because way before this, he should have seen and recognized when a rift came between him and Michael. There's a problem. He should have seen and recognized that when there was unrealized dreams and he had no one to go home to and, and help him walk through this, there's a problem. He should have seen later that when there was unrealized dreams that were not dealt with, there's a problem. When he had successes, when he had losses, he should have seen this. He, he didn't. Whose fault is it? Is it David's fault? Is it Michael's fault? Whose fault is it? And the, the reality is, is both. Which is so often the chance in, in marriage. I know this is a very sensitive subject because some of you today are in marriages where you are not the equal choice, in point, in part. I understand that. I, I, I hear that. Some of you today are in great marriages, but you know there's chinks in the armor. Some of you, us today are in not good marriages, and no one else knows about what's happening. But these steps are steps that all of us walk through in times in our lives. And I found in my life and in my marriage and in my point, when I get tired, when I get frustrated, when, I get, when things are difficult, I'm in a spot in a moment where the enemy can come in and plant seeds of bitterness or anger or resentment or whatever else in my life. David allowed that to continue in his life, and here he sits in a moment that would change the course of his family's history forever. And you read beyond this passage and you find it's just a sad story that when this happens, when this moment happens and the, the child that comes from this moment and all this and this confusing and it's all this big issue and problems and all the problems in David's household that come and they, 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 they're traced back to this moment that should never have happened. It matters today, church. Your marriage is a welcome blessing. And I don't mean someone else's marriage. I mean yours. Is it difficult sometimes? You bet. Is it tough sometimes? You bet it is. Can it be the most wonderful experience of your life? It can. This morning, this passage gives us such incredible word and, and, and wisdom into how this works. And today I'd like, I'd like to have us stand across this room this morning. We're not going to do an, an altar per se because we're going to do an altar among all of us this morning. And I want to have you this today grab this, the hand of your spouse. If your spouse is not here today and they're, for whatever reason, uh, then take your other hand or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I want this to not be a, a moment where it's, others, it's just you and your spouse or just that focus this morning. And again, I understand today that I'm speaking across the, 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 the aisles and across the tables today. There's many things and many factors here today. But I do know this, that prayer is a powerful thing that can do amazing things. And prayer is a big thing and it is an investment we can make in our spouse and in our life that can make a big difference. Amen? We're going to pray today over our spouses. We're going to pray over our marriages today. And again, if you're here, if you say, well, if you're not married and you're single this morning, you're not out of this because I want you to pray today for your future spouse. Or 
If you would say, I'm never getting married, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and I'm finished with that, then I want to encourage you to pray for other marriages that you know in your life. You know people that are married. And I want to encourage you to also not pull yourself out of this, but to say, God, how can I be a blessing for marriages? How can I be a blessing to help? Lord, strengthen, unite us, Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Grab the, spouse, grab the hand of your spouse. Jesus, strengthen us. Lord, unite us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that you have placed in my hand next to me. Lord, not to rule over, not to, to be angry at, not to say, get behind me, but Lord, to serve with, to serve alongside of, that if she is a blessing, and I thank you for her. Lord, strengthen us. Unite us. Lord, make us one. Lord, I pray for each marriage in, this, in the house today. Lord, for those who have been married for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, God, bless them. May the future be better than the past. Lord, may they be, may they be people who, are, who help younger families and younger couples walk through difficult times. I pray for young marriages, Lord, that are just learning and growing and full of possibility and dreams in the future. Lord, I pray for them. God, give them hunger. Give them desire, passion for the other person. Unite them in a stronger manner. Lord, for those of us in the middle, that God have one arm, Lord, in our dreams and one arm in our future. Jesus, who've been married for a while and things can get normal and things can get average and busy and life happens and stuff happens and kids and families and all this other stuff and jobs and whatever else. God, let us not forget the most important relationship we have and that is our spouse. And Lord, for those today that are here that are hurting, maybe they're holding back tears because they hear these words and they think, that's not me. I don't have that. Jesus, I pray over that marriage. Make it strong. Lord, make it mighty. Lord, I pray that you would take Jesus, what the enemy has tried to harm and to bring division and bring frustration and bitterness and whatever else, and Lord, cancel the plan of the enemy. And Lord, may there be unity, Lord Jesus. May those two, Lord, may that couple, may those couples, may those people today experience what it's like to walk in freedom with your spouse. I pray for spouses that, Lord, are not on the same page with those that are believers. Lord, I pray that as we as believers invest in the, these things in our spouses, God, they'd respond to this, Lord, with love, and they would see, God, that this can be, this can be incredible. Jesus, I pray these things in your name because, Lord, I want our culture, I want our country, I want our nation, I want our future to know what it's like to walk with strong families. Lord, may the families of Bridgeview Church be strong. Lord, may the families of Bridgeview Church, Lord God, be a, be a witness to the world. May we be a witness that we are not perfect, that we struggle, that we have difficulty, but we know where our power and our authority comes from. It comes from you, Lord Jesus. 
Lord, I pray this in your strong and holy name. And this morning, everyone says, amen and amen.